Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. This is Football Social Daily, your Premier League podcast with a new show every day of the season. And it's a season which is only nine games old, but has already produced a ton of talking points. One of the biggest so far came at the weekend, where Manchester United were humiliated at Old Trafford by their bitterest rivals, Liverpool. On today's podcast, we take a look at some of the gossip flying around when it comes to both of those clubs with two unsurprising names on the agenda for differing reasons. We'll be talking Mo Salah and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and their respective futures, as well as the futures of Chelsea, Southampton, Leeds and Arsenal in the Carabao Cup. We've reached the quarter-final stage of this season's competition with the Blues welcoming Saints and maybe welcoming N'Golo Conte back to the fold, whilst lowly Leeds travel to an Arsenal side who may have turned a corner in recent weeks. We'll look at those games pencilled in for tonight on Football Social Daily. Hit subscribe now and that way you won't miss an episode of the show again. I'm Niall McCorn. Thanks for listening in to the podcast today, wherever in the world you might be. Alongside me on the show, it's seasoned podcast campaigner Marley Anderson. Morning, Marley. Morning, mate. I'm like the, uh, the the veteran of the uh, football social daily world. Just can't get rid of his. You're the 38 year old centre half who's still going strong in a European league yeah. somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I signed an eight year deal at 31, and just that's it now. <laughs> Moving into a player coach role before too long. And joining myself and Marley, we've got a debut for Paul McGrath. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Thanks for having me on. Not a problem at all. Now, Paul, you're from the Phoenix Five Show, which is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Tell us a little bit about the podcast before we get started. So, uh, yeah, it's five friends from school. So we all went to the same secondary school together. And then over the first lockdown, we kind of come together and was doing quizzes and all sorts on the WhatsApp. And then someone just said, oh, I wish we could turn this into like a podcast so everyone can hear how crap our banter is. Um, <laughs> and then we decided, OK, well, let's try and have a go in doing it. But we wanted to keep it specific to something that's not overpopularized on on the podcast world. So we we went for the '90s and noughties kind of route, preferably naughty That '90s is what we specialize in. So we've had some really good guests on, uh, like Nigel Winterburn, Rule Fox, Ian Walker, 
uh, Phil Brown. But we also do episodes based on topics of the 90s. So, for example, we've done an episode on uh, Battistuta versus Del Piero, deadly duos of the 90s. And we just kind of have a topic and we go about why football was better in the 90s or the noughties. Uh, and each week we bring an episode. And then on a Friday, we have a quiz episode. So we do our own quiz, which we started up on WhatsApp. And it's now leaked into the uh, podcast. So we've got two episodes a week that come out. Sounds like good fun to me. And uh, Del Piero's the correct answer to that question, by the way. <laughs> um, great stuff. You can find the Phoenix Five show and a host of other great podcasts at that on our website, which is sport-social.co.uk. If you just click the podcast tab at the top of the page when you land on the website, uh, you can find all of the podcasts there. Of course, all of our shows are also available on all other podcast platforms as well. So if you've got a sport podcast and you fancy joining us and Paul and the Phoenix Five show at Sport Social, then why not get in touch? We're always keen to hear from new shows looking to join the stable. So just head to the website again, that address sport-social.co.uk and you can contact us from there. On to today's talking points here on Football Social Daily, starting with the action at hand tonight. It's Carabao Cup quarterfinal time already, not even November, and we're already talking about quarterfinals. Chelsea face Southampton at Stamford Bridge tonight, whilst in North London, Arsenal welcome Leeds United. But it will be at the bridge where we begin our discussion I think that this is the big talking point here, Marley. N'Golo Conte could be back into the fold. Now, Chelsea are a formidable side, even without him in the team, which is leading me to, to question, do Chelsea have the best midfield in the Premier League? Because if you look at some of the names they've got, Jorginho, who was a Ballon d'Or contender, Kovacic is a very good midfield player, and Golo Conte, as we say, is not even in the team at the moment because of injury. I mean, that, that's a formidable midfield, don't you think? Yeah, it's hell of a midfield. Um I feel like I'd stop short of saying it's the best in the league. Um, I don't. I don't know why. I, I, you know, you can make that like argument, and you wouldn't be like laughed out of town for saying it. It's not like a, a, a rogue one, but I feel like there's there's better midfields. I'd probably say that um, that Man City's midfield is better, um, and I'd say Liverpool's midfield is better as well. Even though um, they're not the most glamorous midfields, Liverpool's and, and Chelsea's, but. They, they they work for their team like they they are key to how they play you look at like Liverpool with Henderson he he allows Trent Alexander-Arnold to play like he does and he allows Salah to basically like not defend which you shouldn't you know you, you you should rely on attacking output from certain players in your team rather than like a full shift so um if you look at that midfield i think that one's slightly ahead of of um of Chelsea's sometimes i think with Chelsea's you can get at Jorginho a little bit defensively. Um, he's a little bit slow, um, and you've basically just got to avoid Kante basically because he'll he'll try and t- he'll take it off you if you're within thirty yards of him basically. So um, easier said than done. But as well, you know, you mentioned the three players there. I think they only ever picked two um, at the time in, in their midfield: Jorginho and Kovacic. It's been mostly this season, um, and then Jorginho and Kante probably when everyone's fit. Even though Kovacic is playing really really well himself, so. Um, in terms of comparisons, I'd probably go for the other two first. But I mean, it's like you know, it's like choosing from your three favorite pizzas. Like you're gonna be happy with which, <laughs> which whatever one you go go for on a certain day, aren't you? So you'll be happy either way. Yeah, I definitely think that that's a really good point that Marley makes, Paul, when it comes to midfields, because I think individually you can definitely make a case for the Chelsea players, Kovacic, Conte. Um, you know, two great players, as is Jorginho. But in terms of how the teams work Manchester City and Liverpool might not have the individuals 
you know, in terms of them being better than Chelsea. But in terms of how they work as a unit, it's definitely hard to argue against those other two teams as well. Uh, Tuchel was very good at putting a system in place and getting the system to work for him. So individually, you're right. I would I would say I think Chelsea individually probably have the better midfielder of the three that players that you uh, teams that you said. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Liverpool you would edge it basically based on the performance of of how they they worked this season and last season, and then Man City even with you know. Uh, Fernandinho is not getting in at the moment. The options off their bench are a little bit stronger. I, I'm not a massive fan of of, of the Liverpool midfield individually, uh, talent wise. But I think yeah, I think you'd have to say they they would edge it for me uh, based on performances this season. I would probably edge the City mid uh, the Chelsea midfield ahead of them. Yeah, I certainly think that we're spoilt for quality in terms of the Premier League when it comes to midfielders in particular. I mean. Even Manchester City, if we're not talking specifically central midfielders, someone like Kevin De Bruyne, who can just play in those advanced positions when required, and someone like Bernardo Silva, who's playing like a man possessed in that box-to-box role in recent times. So certainly Chelsea, I think, are up there in terms of the quality of their midfield. But is that something that makes them as dangerous an opponent as they have been for a number of years, Marley? The fact that we're talking about one of the best to do it in the last 10 years, probably, N'Golo Conte in terms of that holding midfield role. And he's not really been involved. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a nice um, solution to have, you know, when, when you can play without him, you know, because you're never going to always have your best players all the way through the season. So there are going to be times when someone pulls a hamstring or turns an ankle or whatever, whatever he might have done. Um so yeah, you've you've got to find that solution because the last thing you want really as a manager and as a supporter is to say, oh God, you know, so and so is not fit. So are we going to get a result this week? Like Kante is still one of the best position, best in his um, position in the world. Like there aren't many defensive mids better than him. Many many ball winning midfielders better than him at all. Um, his remember when he sort of burst on the scene when he was at Leicester. It was just like you'd never seen a guy play like. How he covers a pitch like a five-a-side pitch. It's madness how how quick and aggressive he is to get to the ball and, and win it back. Um, so to play without him and still get results like you know seven nil at the weekend against Norwich. I know it's only Norwich, but still, you know teams like that coming coming to Stamford Bridge and, and getting absolutely battered with what was basically like Chelsea's sort of not the well it's probably the B team if I'm honest. So. It's um it's one of them where you know it's a great solution to have and then when you can bring Kante back in, you know he's he's even on a personal level for him he knows he's got to play well to get back in the team so he's even more determined. And when you've got a determined guy who's all already world class in his position, you know you're you're asking a lot to play against him and then get the better of him. So everything's going pretty well at Chelsea at the minute and uh, they've came over that little blip the other week when they got battered by Man City, um and they they look really strong again. Yeah, Thomas Tuchel made a comment ahead of this game against Southampton, Paul, about, you know, what's the right approach here? Do you keep the momentum, go with a strong team because it's the quarterfinal, of course, and there's silverware up for grabs at Wembley at the end of February if Chelsea can get to that point? Or with the size of the squad and the quality of the squad, do you make those changes to keep your squad happy? It's quite a balancing act for a manager. And I think it's quite refreshing that Thomas Tuchel has come out and so obviously said that in a press conference as if to say, it's not an easy job being a manager, trying to keep 25 top quality players happy whilst also trying to win the game. It's not always as easy as it sounds. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, you know, 
from a, a, a 90s based sort of pod we talk about a lot in terms of trophies how it's changed in football that you know in the early 90s you know noughties apart from man united a lot of teams went out to try and win the league cup in the last 10 12 years you had championship sides pitting out reserve teams because the getting into the premier league was the ultimate goal so it's nice to hear him come out and say but is it a bit of a you know, a, a cloak and dagger coming out and almost preparing to say, well, we're not really going to play our strongest team because we, we want to try and focus on the Premier League. If you've got a squad with 25 good players and you need to rotate, it's games like this that you do have to use your squad because you would expect them really to to put out a strong enough squad to, to beat Southampton, who are very Jekyll and Hyde. So I think he, he'll put a strong team out because no matter what team Chelsea put out with the squad they've got, it's a strong team. Uh, but you have to balance having 25 very good players. As you said, if Kante comes in, it will be good for him to get his fitness back, uh, to get his movement back and maybe do 70, 75 minutes and bring in some of the other players that are on the fringes of the squad to give them an opportunity. So, yeah, I think it's, it, it, it makes sense to try and use your squad, but don't go and change 11 players because you do want to keep momentum in, in these games and winning breeds confidence. So, you know, you get a loss here. Not to say it will necessarily affect their weekend game, but it has the ability to have that little bit of doubt of, of form, potentially. Yeah, it's it's never nice for a top club to lose any game in any competition. And I think that that's a mentality that Thomas Tuchel has bred. You just need to look at the Premier League statistics. They've got more clean sheets under Tuchel in the Premier League than they have got goals conceded which is just a remarkable statistic in my opinion. But there we go. They face Southampton tonight. They won't have Timo Werner or Romelu Lukaku available through injury. Southampton, meanwhile, won't have James Ward-Prowse as he serves the final game of his three-match suspension in which the red card he was shown was picked up against Chelsea in the Premier League at the start of the month. They also won't have Armando Broja, who is on loan from Chelsea, so he's ineligible to play. And Mohamed El Yunusi has a hand injury, so he's not involved as well. And as you mentioned, Paul, Southampton struggle to get results. Do you think that they can spring a surprise on Chelsea or is it likely there's only going to be one outcome and it would be a bit of a shock if they can get the job done? No, I think I think they've got the ability. I think they've definitely got the ability and um, it depends on, on how they try and play it and approach the game. It, it, it depends what team he pits out, whether he goes for a strong lineup or he does the same as I said earlier and he does rest a couple of players and rotate a couple of players to, to one eye on the Premier League game on the weekend. I don't know if I've classed as an upset I think Southampton are a really decent club. Um, I think it's a Carabao Cup, it's a cup game, which you want. And really, you want upsets. You know, Man City have won this trophy for how many years in the last 10? I think seven, six times in the last 10 years. So you do want an upset. This is what the cup competition's about. And it would be great if someone like a Southampton or a Leeds could get through and, and, and be in a final. So I think they could, yeah, they could pull something off tonight if, if, if they're really want to and the manager puts out the best squad available to him and gets his tactics right because it's not going to be easy against Chelsea but I, as you said no Lukaku um, you know Kante coming back from injury it, it's definitely a, a, a game that you want to win Upsets are good, but as a Portsmouth fan, I'll be hoping Chelsea do the business tonight over Southampton. <laughs> I have no interest in seeing them get through to the next round, that's for sure. Um, what's your take, Marley? Because, you know, Ralph Hasenhurtl oversaw a 2-2 draw uh between his side and Burnley in the Premier League at the weekend. They managed to get their first victory over Leeds the week before that. So they are improving ever so slightly. But it feels like the sort of season where this cup competition, or any cup competition for that matter, could well be a welcome distraction. And I know that there's this kind of difficult line to straddle where it's, do you focus on the league? 
and make sure that you stay out of trouble and stay out of danger? Or when you are in a cup run, do you focus on that and go for the good times? It's sometimes a difficult gap to bridge. To be honest, I think tonight is a bit of a free hit for Southampton. I don't think anyone's expecting them to win. Um, You know, it's not as if they would have sort of targeted this competition before the season gone. You know what? We can we can go win that, lads. Like I think there's always going to be other things to focus on for Southampton. So when you get to this stage and you get a Chelsea, you know you're always going to be the underdogs. So why not just have a crack at it and see what happens? Like I don't really think we're in a position in the season where you can think, Christ, if we win this game, we might go down in in three or four months' time. We might be in real real trouble. So. You know, we're nine games in, they're not in the bottom three. They are improving in the um in the sort of last two or three weeks. Their performances have been pretty good. They battered Leeds. Did they beat Burnley? Was it two two? They drew two two, yeah. Two two when it because the mm. little corner he scored, I remember, yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, I mean, you know, the 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 momentum is starting to come for Southampton, they're starting to get results, which the performances have been alright as well, to be fair. Um so just I just Take this as a one-off shot at Chelsea. Why not? If you if you can turn them over, you know that gives your your season massive momentum. And if you get absolutely battered, it it can it can affect you a little bit, but not it's not it's not a season ender basically. So I don't see the I don't think there's too much to lose here. No, certainly, and I think that this could be actually quite an interesting game with a fair few goals between Chelsea and Southampton. So that's the first quarter-final that takes place this evening, but the other game of Premier League persuasion is Arsenal against Leeds. Let's talk about Mikel Arteta, Marley. He'll have eyes on silverware this season as well, you know, particularly considering Arsenal didn't do great last season. They've not started this season particularly well, but if he can win a trophy, that will certainly give him some credit in the bank, don't you think? Yeah, well, that's um, that's basically what his reputation and uh, achievements at Arsenal have been so far, aren't they? You know, winning the FA Cup. Um, they had loads of momentum going into the into last season and and seemed to just, you know, throw it away. Really, um, ended up having a, a tough season. But Arsenal are better in cups than they are in the league. You know, we've said it for said it for years. You know, when's the last time they won the league? We're talking like seventeen years ago now. So. Um, I think Arsenal are just the tougher to beat of over of, of one game where it matters. If you if you challenge them challenging them in the league, they are gonna slip up. They are gonna make mistakes. Um, so why not? Why not be that team who who are a cup team at the end of the day? Winning trophies is basically what football's all about. That's you're never happier as a fan when your team wins a trophy. I say that as a guy who has never seen his team lift a <laughs> lift a trophy except the championship uh, twice in his lifetime. But you know, it's um, that's that's what football is. So you can't be like, oh, well, it's only the Carabao Cup because you know Man City have basically monopolised this tournament in the last four years, winning it every time. Might as well paint the trophy light blue and stick them, like, glue the ribbons onto it. It's <laughs> pointless how you even having it. So if you uh, if you wanna. You know, get some uh, momentum into your season and um, and sort of put something else on your CV as a manager. End that um, end that sort of dominance of Manchester City and go and uh, go and try and win the Carabao Cup. 
Speaking of momentum, it's a chance for Leeds to build some, isn't it, Paul? If they can beat Arsenal, particularly away from home where Arsenal was so good at the Emirates against Villa on Friday night. So even though it's not a Premier League game, it's a cup quarter final. Leeds will take confidence from beating a club like Arsenal when things aren't going particularly well for them in the league. Yeah, I think it's uh, what's interesting with Arsenal, you know, four weeks ago they were in a relegation battle um, and now they're kind of on level points with Man United. But, you know, their form themselves, I know they've got a bit of a a good patch at the moment, beating, you know, West Brom six, you know, just scraping past Norwich and then beating Wimbledon and Brighton or drawing with Brighton. You know, I I think this this corner turning is is not so much that. I think they beat the teams they expect to beat. Leeds again, um, it'd be nice if they can cause an upset somewhat tonight. Again, just to see a different team get through to the next stage of the cup. But as you said, uh, Marley, with Man City winning it, you know, four years, and it's ridiculous, you might as well paint it blue, as you said quite rightly. So I think it'd be good for Leeds. I think Leeds are a, a, a big club, not one anything or been in, in this far and around for a long, long while. So I think the fans would, would love to go on this little run and, and, and turn over Arsenal, definitely. Yeah, 100%. Arsenal against Leeds, the other Carabao Cup quarterfinal of Premier League persuasion tonight. It takes place at the Emirates. We'll have a look at those games and those results on tomorrow's podcast, but we're going to leave the Carabao Cup there for now and we're going to take a quick break. And afterwards, we'll be talking about the latest gossip doing the rounds in the Premier League. Mo Salah is in the picture and so is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He's in the picture at the moment. Will he be out of the picture come the end of the week? We'll discuss that next here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. If you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss an episode of the podcast again. We have a brand new show every single day of the Premier League season. We are the only podcast that will do that for you and deliver you a new show every day of the campaign. Time to talk the latest Premier League gossip now. And it's no surprise after that remarkable fixture on Sunday evening in which Liverpool beat Manchester United 5-0 at Old Trafford. It is those two clubs in the spotlight when it comes to the newspaper talk today. It's two days on, but certainly the reverberations of that game are still being felt, both positively for Liverpool, negatively for Manchester United. And we'll come on to United shortly, but we'll start with Liverpool, where the latest report suggests that Mo Salah wants £500,000 per week in a new Liverpool deal. Now, we've bigged up Mo Salah in recent weeks on this podcast, Marley, and for good reason. He delivered again on the big stage on Sunday afternoon. He's in the form of his life, playing remarkable football. However, it's not in Liverpool's interests in terms of their wage structure to pay someone half a million pounds a week. And you don't see that too often in the Premier League, let alone a club who are quite stringent with their wage budget like Liverpool are. What's your thoughts on this? Do you think with the form that Salah is in and the importance he holds to Liverpool that they should just go and smash their wage structure and just hand him whatever fee he wants? Yes, basically. Um... I feel like, like it's it's not even a big discussion for me. This like you know the the guy's legitimately the best in the world right now. Like no one's playing better than him. He's got more goals than games this season. He's tearing teams apart by himself. Scored a hat trick at Old Trafford, first man in eighteen years to do that um, as an away player. Um, I know, I know, like Liverpool's um, salary sort of budget is is as you say a little bit tighter than most teams and that's that's fine but also 
you've got the best player in the world. You can't be saying, you know, you've well, you've got to be on the same as Thiago and um and Van Dyke. Like I know Van Dyke's also one of the best in the world in his position, but you know, the guy that wins your games is Salah. He's the guy that gets you out of trouble, he's the guy that scores all your goals, uh, he's the guy that won you the title basically, um, in terms of, you know, being the one who, who tore through teams week in, week out. So yeah, half a million is the going rate for the best in the world right now. You know, there's there's players on more, you know, Messi and um and all the rest of it, maybe Mbappe if if PSG have to keep if if they can eventually keep him, but it's not um it's not a crazy amount of money, but it is doubling Liverpool's salary at the minute because I think he's on somewhere around 200, 250. Um, but if there's anyone worth it, if there's anyone more worth it than Salah in the world, I don't know who it is because they aren't, you know, he's, he's just, he's one of a kind. So I don't think anyone in that dressing room as well will go, do you know what? He's on 500, I should be on 400. I don't think they've got the dressing room for that. I think they're two together as a club to go, well, why is he getting paid 200 grand more than me? Like, they're such a, a tight-knit squad, it seems, that I feel like everyone will be like, yeah, well, Mo's better than all of us and we need Mo more than everyone. So, fair play that he's on more than, than everyone else. Yeah, I definitely think that Mohamed Salah is just such a phenomenon at the moment. I don't think there can be any question that with the form that he's in, he is the best football player in the world in terms of current form right now. I don't think that can be argued. And it's probably a painful discussion to have for you, Paul, being a Manchester United fan. Um, How much do you respect Salah for the performance he put in at Old Trafford at the weekend to score a hat-trick at Old Trafford, the first person to ever do that for an opposition side in the Premier League? It's some achievement and he's some player, isn't he? Yeah, I I think, as Marley quite rightly said, it's not a discussion. It's it's just papers talking about talking out to make a debate on it. There is no debate. I do disagree with the the point saying that players are quite close-knit because, you know, which for the money side of it, when someone's paid something, heads do turn when you're talking about massive amounts of money. But really and truthfully, quite rightly, as Marley did then say, it, it, you know, it's not, a, it's not a debate. Half a million pounds a, a, a week is nothing now in, in, in the game. Really, I'm numb to the numbers that players get paid and the talk we go on about. The question is not how much he's paid, though. It's how much it costs to replace him. You know, if you if Liverpool do let him go on a free ultimately, you have to uncover another gem, which is going to cost you what 50, 60 million, you know, just to try and find someone that you're hoping can replace or replicate what he's done. So for the cost of just the transfer fee of bringing someone in, you spent two years of wages that you would have paid Mohamed Salah. So for me, I think wage structures are there to be broken. And when you've got arguably one of the best players in the world, as, as everyone's quite rightly said, it's not a debate. And he, he hasn't shown signs that he wants to leave. When they've had players in the past like Torres or Suarez, there was always the underlying current that they do want to move on. Whereas I don't sense that from Salah. I, I think Salah wants to stay at Liverpool and build his legacy there. Um, and I think he's at the right club to do so. He's, a, he's fantastic to watch. I mean, he is brilliant. I hate to say it. It's, I, I didn't think he was that... When they first signed him, I wasn't that bothered by him. I thought, well... Yeah, he's decent, but, you know, it'll be one or 18 months and he'll start to, to drop down. And then it was more, I hope he drops down. And then it was like, well, please drop down or just do something so you're not turning into this player. And then obviously on Sunday, he turned into the player that no one wants to see at United and, 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 and is arguably, as we said, the best in the world. So it's very painful, <laughs> but half a million pounds, it's nothing now in today's game at a club at Liverpool. 
as I said, trying to replace him while you're challenging. I do think if Liverpool weren't challenging for the title this season um, or were having a similar season to last season, I think it would have been harder to pay him the money that he's asking for because you're then almost looking at a downward spiral and then you're paying someone to hopefully take you back up opposed to paying someone to win you a title, which they are currently looking to do. In terms of being the best player in the world, a lot of people recognise that as a Ballon d'Or award. So with that in mind, Marley, the only African to ever win the Ballon d'Or was George Weah in 1995. If he carries on with the way he's been going, is there anyone else apart from Mo Salah who should win that prize? Because it seems like it's him and no one else at the moment. He's miles ahead for me. Yeah, I think the only thing that could stop him is the fact that last season he wasn't at the level he's at now. Um, so you're talking over a calendar year that the Ballon d'Or's sort of um, decided upon. Then you're looking at, at Lewandowski in um, in Germany who's had... He almost goes under the radar because it's so sort of... He's so meticulous that he scores every week and you, you almost take it for granted a little bit. So I think over the terms of, of the whole year, I think maybe Lewandowski's up there with him, possibly slightly ahead of him. Um, but yeah, on this season's form, I mean, if it was, you know, if, if, if he keeps up this form to the end of the season, no one's even going to come close. You know, he'll be hundreds of votes clear of whoever finishes second. Um, and, is he, the, is he know, the best African to ever do it in the Premier League? That, I suppose that would be I've, my next question. I was just about to say, well, I mean, he's on course to be to be that and to end that uh, debate pretty quickly. I think if you look who's up there with him, mm. you know, you think of uh, of Drogba as probably the the one in, in Yaya Toure. Um, and he went past Yaya. Drogba in terms of Premier League goals for an African at the weekend. He did, yeah. Mm. And I think I think the one thing Salah has which pushes him ahead of Drogba and, and Yaya Toure for me is the fact that he was one of the main keys for Liverpool to end their their thirty year um wait for a for a um a top flight title, you know, a league title. So that is always something he has in his back pocket. Like I was there, I was the main man in that season. Like me and, and Sadio Mane, another African, were were the two um two main sort of players in, in the attacking sense that uh, that pushed them over that line that they'd not been able to get across for the last thirty years. So I think I think Salah's done enough for it now. Um, Drogba was amazing Toure was amazing but you know when, when you're splitting hairs I think that uh, that league title drought that Salah helped end was uh, is the one that tipped it for me yeah I think that Drogba for me because that was kind of the first real African striker I saw score <laughs> 15 goals a season 20 goals a season win cups <laughs> like there was no tomorrow I think for me uh, it'll, it'll be tough to surpass Drogba but I think once Salah parts company and, and leaves the Premier League I think we can pretty much comfortably look back if Liverpool are successful in the next two or three seasons and he's still there and say that it that it is him but there's been some brilliant Africans in the Premier League over the years I mean I, I mean Kanu has got a fond place in my heart but I don't think he'll <laughs> ever be in the conversation with Mo Salah so that's the latest in terms of gossip when it comes to Liverpool Mo Salah wants half a million pounds per week where does, where does Ali D around? Uh, <laughs> Jemba Jemba <laughs> what a guy yeah there's been some good ones there's been some good ones um, let's talk about Manchester United then the other half of that 
result at the weekend. 5-0 to Liverpool, it finished. And naturally, with a result like that, there's been a lot of question marks over the future of the manager, who's obviously Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He signed a new three-year contract in the summer. And it was the darkest day in football, he said, after the game. He said he had hit rock bottom and it was not good enough. And those were the words used by Harry Maguire as well. Several reports have come out over the last 24 hours or so regarding the future of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. A report from Sky Sports News this morning suggested that Solskjaer will remain in his post as the manager of Manchester United. Other sources, including Sky Sports in Italy, have suggested that United have made contact with Antonio Conte as a possible replacement for Solskjaer. Let's talk about that then, purely speculatively, of course, because if the reports are to be believed, Solskjaer will be staying at least until the weekend at this moment in time. Gary Neville was the pundit on TV, as he often is for Manchester United games, Paul. And he said that Antonio Conte is not a fit for Manchester United if he was to come in and replace Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Is that something you agree with? How long have we got? I don't, I don't want to keep you too long on this because I, I could be here for a long time. <laughs> OK, let's break it down. You, you, there's a lot to unpack there. First of all, Solskjaer staying the job to the weekend was always going to happen unless he resigned because you, you, they need to have someone in place. They're not going to have a situation where Michael Carrick takes over and then at the end of the season, he has a good season, they give him the job again. They're not going to make that mistake again. The second thing is with Gary Neville. Um, he has got a bias. I love Gary Neville. I think he talks a lot of sense on a lot of things, but he's oversaturated himself now, getting involved in politics and this, that and the other. You've got to be critical at this stage and you've got to say it's not good enough. Now, with Conte coming in and the comments he made, I think he was misunderstood with what he was actually trying to say. I'm a Man United fan, and I suppose if there's Arsenal fans listening with Wenger, we've got this allure of having this whole dream of having a manager that's going to be with us 10, 15, 20 years. I was one of those people when we brought in Jose, when we brought in Moyes, <clears throat> I thought it was a perfect signing because you're thinking, right, well, he's someone that's going to build, he's going to be with us 10, 12, 15 years, and we're going to have that longevity in managers again. It hasn't worked out. And I think myself now, I'm very much in the situation that it's not going to happen anymore. It, it's just not. Football's moved on. The whole, you know, Dario Grady being at crew for 20 odd years and you know, it, it's just not going to happen. And I've got myself out of that now. I totally agree with that. And we discussed this uh, sort of in the office yesterday, myself and Marley, about, you know, the way that things were with Ferguson and... Arsene Wenger staying at a club for 20 years. Those days are long gone. You know, if you look at the list of 92 managers from the top of the Premier League to the bottom of League Two, you'll find that the majority have been in post for under three years. It's rare to find... And someone like Sean Dyche, who's been at a club for eight years, and Eddie Howe, who was at Bournemouth for a similar length of time, that's almost unheard of in the modern game. So this idea that managers can stick around at a club for you know, 10, 15 years. That seems to be a ship that sailed now. Oh, definitely. Because there's a few reasons for that. So what Gary Neville was saying with Conte was he's not, you know, you know what United want because he he's under the impression that United and the fans, which we did want, but have changed now, we don't want a scattergun manager that comes in for two or three years, maybe wins a trophy and buggers off. That's what we need. That's what, and Watford have, you know, not just in the, on the top clubs, outside of Pep, because everything was built around Man City for Pep Guardiola. You know, the infrastructure two years before he came in was all built for Pep to come into this club. Klopp will be there for a while, but the high pressure, I think, in another four, maybe four years, I think he will have had enough in, in this division or in this sort of under pressure and need a rest. Then you look at Watford. 
you know, Watford have shown changing your manager every three months in their case in some situations generally seems to work in their style. You look at the two most successful clubs in the last 10, 12 years would go to Chelsea and Real Madrid. And they changed their manager after you win a Champions League on many occasions. So I think for, for Conte coming in, it would be for me now would be the only choice. The other options you've got is um, the Ajax manager, who I think is just not experienced enough at this stage to deal with the players that we've got at the club. Then you've got Zidane, who if you want to appease of Zidane, um, uh, Pogba and Ronaldo, then you would maybe look at Zidane. But again, I, I don't know if he's got the pedigree outside of that one club. So you go with Conte. And what Conte would do instantly is he would change the formation, which Oli has not been able to do. And it's crying out, for a 3-5-2 at Man United. And I said this middle of last season, the beginning of this season. And I thought, okay, Oli's stuck with this. And when Oli came in, Oli was very fluent in his tactical now, it seems. He would tweak things for games and change formation mid-game. Mid and it all seemed to work. Then he settled on this, this double pivot because he realised the defence was getting run at too much. So he, he went to this double pivot. And it's not great, but I gave him the benefit of the doubt. Then we got hammered by Leicester and all the problems that we could all see as fans sitting in the stands. You could see what the problems were on the pitch from a bird's eye view, which he doesn't obviously watch it from. And then he said after the game and Pogba came out and said things have to change. It wasn't good enough, etc. And I wasn't only out at that stage because I was still like, OK, he's now been told the players would have sat down with him after this game and said, this isn't working tactically. We need to change it. This is this, it's just not working. But then you had Atlanta and he plays the same formation. He plays the same tactics. And we get away with it. But as Paul Skoll said, and many players said after, when you come up against a top team, you will get ripped apart. And even after Atlanta, I was still like, mm, he's got five more games to try and really change it round. And then against Liverpool, he plays the same team, the same tactical shape, and then went, well, actually, we're going to do a Gergen press as we play. But it doesn't matter how you press, just, just run out after the players and hopefully we get in behind and we get a goal. And that was the stage for me was like what he should have done. And I refer it back to, <laughs> to the 90s and noughties. He should have done a Keegan. After the game, he should have had an hour with the players to say goodbye. He should have came out and said, out of respect for the club and, and my status at the club, I've taken this club as far as I can and I need to resign. Because you cannot argue with what Oli has done. has been fantastic in terms of it's a, a together squad. It's a one manager squad. That is Oli Gunnar Solskjaer's squad. He's brought in enough players from the, the youth team and transfers. It's not a disjointed squad. There's a lot of harmony in the squad. And he's done a fantastic job, but you need to move on now. It's interesting that people will look at Antonio Conte and suggest the systems, Marley, because we mentioned this yesterday as well. He prefers a three at the back or a back five, basically playing with wing backs, whatever formation you want to call it, three, five, whatever. Wing backs is what we're talking about here. Paul says that he thinks that will suit the Manchester United squad. Do you agree or do you think that it might be slightly more tricky? I can't think of a worse way for that Man United squad to play than with three at the back. I can't think of any natural wing back in that system at all. That and if really? you if, yeah, and if you make them a wing back, I think it makes you weaker elsewhere. Like the whole point of bringing in Varane is because Lindelof was rubbish, right? So if you bring if you play with like Wan Bissaka at right wing back, for example. Like, he's, number one, bad at attacking. Number two, it brings Lindelof into that back three, which is completely negating the, the problem. You've you've gone back to the old problem there. So you could play Wan-Bissaka, for example, at centre-back, which 
in in a back three, I think he'd be really good at centre back because he's amazing at one on one defending and, and covering the space and all the rest of it. But then you've got a problem at right wing back. So who's going to play there? Dallo, Dallo's rubbish. Dallo is not anything to to get excited about. I don't understand how he's got this move to Man United ever. Um, he's not shown anything for for me. So then you, you're looking at Conte and going, who's he going to like? mold into a wing back and you're looking at like Jadon Sancho and and maybe Marcus Rashford and but what you know Jadon Sancho's made made himself a 90 million pound winger by being a right winger so why why do you have to have a manager to come in and then go do you know what I'm going to make that guy a right wing back like when he got to Chelsea Conte he, he got there and he went I've got no wing backs but Victor Moses is either gonna play as a wing back or he's gonna get out of the club so that was a, a completely different thing. He didn't have Victor Moses, one of the best right wingers in the in the in the Premier League, and he's he's gone. I'm going to change you. You know, it's 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 a different situation at, at Man United. I can't think of of a way they can get everyone in. I I, I even think that the the if a three five two system came in, I think Pogba doesn't fit into it anywhere. Um, in a in a, in a defensive midfield two is is poor because he needs two guys to cover him as he has as he has for for France and Juventus before that and even last season when he started playing really well, Man United had that four three one two system, and everybody could do Pogba's dirty work and let him let him go and be be Paul Pogba, so I I just think it it doesn't get the best out of many players at Man United if they did go to a back three but. I still think Conte is the best guy out there for for any team looking for a manager. Never mind just Man United. Just on on what Marley said about the three five two, just very briefly, I think you bring Shaw into centre back with Varane and Maguire. I think you play Donny Van der Beek in front of them alongside Ava uh, McTominay. I think Sancho has not been in the Premier League long enough um, or been played in the right position under Oli. I think he's got all the attributes to be a very good uh, right wing back. Uh, and on the left, yes, we would have a slight problem there. But Rashford has a has a as a work as an intelligent footballer and a high work rate would would get the best out of Rashford, I think, um, and then you can address that those problems in the summer if you need to. So immediate for me, three five two is is the option that then allows you with Shaw in the back to move into a four four five one or four four two later on in games. Um, but on the the youth side, yeah, you know, football's been about the immediate for the last 10, 15, 20 years. It's not about it's never been about this whole long project. It's very rare that happens. Um, and the whole myth of, oh, that doesn't give you for chance. Mourinho was credited with the same thing. Um, but, you know, he, he, uh, McTominay came through on that period and a few other players on the fringes come through. And if you're going to have a manager that's going to be there for two or three years at a time, which evidently is going to be, then I think you, you will get a chance at some stage because that will be one of the mand- mandates that are pushed through. Um, and I would hope that whoever came in with Conte, there would be some link, you know, from the uh, ballroom down to make sure there are some of those youth layers coming into the squad but at the moment we've got a young team we've got academy players in it and I think that that, that's not what the the issue for United is at the moment and as we said Conte's not going to be there for seven eight nine years where he's stifling the youth of the of the Man United Academy which they've just invested a massive amount of money in recently so no I don't think that's really on the equation football's here for the here and now managers are here for the here and now the youth will be there if they're good enough they'll get through and I think that's proven uh, most of the time with at, at, at Man United and, and certain other clubs as well. 
Well, fascinating to hear your thoughts as a Manchester United fan, Paul. And we've reached the end of today's Football Social Daily. Phoenix Five show still going strong. Another couple of episodes out this week, I'm sure. Yeah, and funny enough, we've <laughs> talked about African players. The next episode we record this weekend is a special on African players in the 90s and noughties. So if you want to hear more about that, <laughs> then in two weeks' time, that one will be up. The episode we've got this weekend coming out is um, your idols. So idols you had as growing up um, in different positions at, at different football clubs. Uh, but thank you for having me on. Really enjoyed it. No problem. Appreciate your time, Paul. You can check the Phoenix Five show out on the Sport Social Podcast Network, sport-social.co.uk, as well as on all other podcast platforms. Thanks very much, Marley. Who's your pick? Best African player that isn't Mo Salah? Oh, that isn't Salah? Um, Yaya Toure. <laughs> I thought you were going to go for Shola Amiobi, but you, <laughs> you said... <laughs> You had the perfect it's opportunity. He, speak, he speaks with such a distinct Geordie accent that it's 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 brilliant. You almost you, forget that he's uh, that he played for Nigeria. You could have had Cisse, Demba Bar. You've betrayed your own club there. Oh, <laughs> AJ Kocha, you've got to mention JJ Kocha when you talk about best Africans. Yeah, oh, JJ, yeah. what a guy. Some silky <laughs> skills from Akocha. That's it from us today on Football Social Daily. We'll catch you again tomorrow. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.